my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. Great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Always a great time talking to Andrew, and we covered a lot. We uh, reacted to Championship Week. Uh, we did. We actually had a lengthy discussion on the merits of Waffle House. Uh, that, that was a fun one. Um, we talked about what has been going on uh, within the Trump campaign and, and how the uh, 2024 GOP primary is shaping up and a bunch of other stuff. We, we covered a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, guys, before we get to Andrew, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an Apple user, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Andrew Donaldson. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Andrew, how you been, man? Love it. How are you? Living the dream. Who's got better than us, man? Nobody, man. Not that I know of. So, uh, dude, a lot to get to, as always, man. But let's start with last night. We had one good game. I mean, I, I just, you know, the audience probably knows by now because I talk a lot about football and sports generally, but I don't like any of those teams that played in the championship games. But I was just hoping for, you know, some good football. And, you know, we, we had one good game, but I just felt bad. I never thought I'd feel bad for a San Francisco Bay Area sports team. But by the end of that game, man, I just felt bad for these boys. I mean, what an absolute clown show. The injuries, the penalties. I, I, mess. I feel like we got cheated out of a really good game. And oh, I felt yeah. so, like, they they ran out of quarterbacks for people that didn't watch the game. They you know McCaffrey, who's their running back, was their emergency emergency quarterback. He's switching helmets so he can get the play calls. The quarterback comes back in Purdy. He can't throw. He tore he injured his UCL. So people that don't understand your UCL and your elbows like your ACL and your knee. Yeah. Your arm is fine. You can move your arm fine. But if you try to do anything other than just direct movement, it feels like it's falling off your body. Yeah, it's like it's like when you tear your ACL, you can actually go forward and back fine. But if you put any pressure laterally, he could so not throw the ball. His arm wasn't stable. He had no stabilization. Yeah, no and then, stabilization. I don't know about that specific injury, but I know with a, some of those tendons in your elbow, you might not be able to grip the ball. Yeah, I mean, he you threw know. one screen pass for like five or six yards, and then they never even tried to do it again. Yeah, I, I mean, they were running. I think they ran the Statue of Liberty at one point. They're running all this. I mean, it wasn't like they were trying, but there's this. You have a defense that's good, and you got a quarterback that can't throw the ball. You got no chance, and they're just teeing off on them. And I, fe- I just felt cheated. I felt bad. For- I mean, look, Philly's been one of the best teams. They ran through. They deserve to be in the Super Bowl. This isn't what I'm saying. I just feel like we got cheated out of a really, really classic game with two really, really good defenses. Questions at quarterback. Of course, Hurts is great, but he's remember, and Hurts is playing hurt. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, excuse the pun, but he's hurt too. Um, it just it, it was a it was a bummer, man. It was such a letdown from what should have been a great game. Then we got a great game in the Kansas City Cincinnati game. It's all kinds of controversial, but I just felt sad, man. I just felt bad. I was like, this, this you work all year. Think about all these team guys. And remember, most of the NFL guys aren't superstars. They're lunch bucket guys. They're making their money for five, ten years, and then they got to go get a real job, right? Think about getting that close and you just run out of quarterbacks. It's so bad. 
don't know. If it got any weirder, they'd just be like, all right, here goes the 49ers fifth-string quarterback, George Santos. <laughs> how, how, how more weird can this game get, man? Who you got I'll, in the Super Bowl? I, I think I'm picking the Chiefs, and for absolutely no reason. Like, I, the, I feel like Philly's been the better team all year. They're, I mean, both quarterbacks are hurt. It might come down to, like, who's less hurt. You know, they have two weeks yeah. off, obviously. But it's just a hunch, you know, like – I don't know. The the theme of the playoffs so far, like the playoffs, I mean, last night's game was good, but like a lot of these games have been pretty boring, and I feel like the boring outcome would be like a Chiefs winning because they're kind of like – the Chiefs are like the New York Yankees in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like they're just going to be around late in the playoffs every year. It's kind of the yeah. boring outcome. So just – I mean, it, this is nothing to do with the X's and O's. It's just like with the theme of the playoffs so far, I just have a feeling in my gut that the Chiefs are going to win. It's it's such a pick em, so let me just walk through it as if I was going to now all size it, right? It, it, Philly's probably the better team on paper. Mahomes 100%, 100%. is the best quarter. Mahomes is just doing legend stuff at quarterback right now. But Kansas City doesn't have it. They were down to three wide receivers on the whole roster. They ran out of players. Yeah. They had the quarterback yeah. problem San Francisco had, but with wide receivers. So they got to try to get two weeks is going to hopefully help them out. They'll get a little healthier. I don't know what to do here, but the other problem I got is I think Hurts is really good. I know Philly's a good team. They haven't played anybody. No. They certainly haven't played Mahomes, but again, Mahomes is hurt. So what I mean, they played a Giants team that was overperforming and lucked into the playoffs. They got San Francisco where they didn't have a quarterback. I I don't I just and I just I remember watching that debacle they had in the playoffs last year. You get this team under pressure, what are they gonna do? I think they're good. I think the coach is good. I think Hurts is going to be a special player. But they haven't done it yet, and this is, you know, five division champions in a row for Mahomes. He's done it. Normally I go better. best quarterback is kind of my fallback when it's a pick em, but Mahomes is hurt, and that push, pass rush for Philly is insane. Yeah. That's not one you want to be limping against. I don't know, man. It's such a pick em. I'm really looking forward to the Super Bowl, though. It's going to be really good, I think. Chiefs defense looked good, though. Chris Jones balled out. And I know, like, the— Bang, we can mention this too. The Bengals fans are complaining. Hashtag rigged NFL is uh, trending right now. But at, the Chiefs defense stepped up late in that game. Chris Jones was—I mean, he looked like a, a murderer out there. I mean, that was—I mean, they can they can get after the quarterback too. So yeah, the, offici- the officiating in both games was not good. Yeah, yeah. Uniformly, yeah. it was bad in both games. No doubt. But you know, no, <laughs> the officials didn't do tip ball interceptions at the middle of the fourth quarter. You know, the official, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's not one call at the end of the game ever, even though that call was a huge call. There was other missed calls. Look, they, they, we had we had the situation where you get a whole play over again. I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen that, that before. That was a new <laughs> one. Um, so, yeah, you can complain about the refs, but you still got to win the game, especially championship-level games. Look, you know the refs are going to let stuff go, and you know they're going to have a big call if you get caught. You know, you just can't do certain things. So you can look, I'm begging you, Cincinnati fans, you've got success for the first time in a long time. You're doing well. You've got the quarterback. You're going to be good for a couple of years now. Don't become Saints fans. Please don't do this. Please don't take the gifts you have been bestowed by the football gods and turn it into being the reputation of if we don't win, everybody's against us. No, they're not. Everybody's happy for you. Joe Burrow's a wonderful player. He's going to be a great, great player. If Mahomes wasn't at the top of the mountain, he may be the best player in the league, but he can't get past Mahomes. This is what makes for compelling sports. We want that rivalry. We want to see them play it. Don't become Saints fans where the whole world's against us when they're clearly not. Don't do that. They're going to do it, though. I mean, Cincinnati oh, Bengals fans. Bengals fan. I mean, you know I'm a Steelers fan. 
And Bengals fans are notoriously terrible. I mean, out of all the out of the four fan bases in the AFC North, the Bengals fans are the worst. I mean, they're notorious for cheering injuries, specifically Steelers and Ravens. If they're playing one of those two teams, somebody gets injured. You know, Cincy fans go crazy. They're just, you know, I remember that uh, the Vontez Burfick game where he lost him the playoff game to the Steelers after he knocked oh, out yeah. Antonio Brown, and they're cheering AB getting knocked out and all that. And yeah, I mean, they, I wouldn't put it past. I wouldn't put it past Cincinnati Bengals fans for doing just about anything. They're, they're it's a terrible city with a terrible fan base. You know, I love my home oh, state of Ohio, too, but that's you know, too no, I like Cincinnati as a oh. as a people group and as a. I know you're a Steelers fan, so there's a little bit, and I'm a West Virginia guy, so I got Pittsburgh issues. I don't mind the Steelers <laughs> as long as you don't go to Pitt. Pitt needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. The University right. of Pittsburgh. However, no, I no. Here's the problem though: is it's amazing how success goes to people's heads. Because Cincinnati was always the fan base you felt sorry for for yeah, so yeah. long. And within about a four-year period year. now. One oh, year. Yeah, really, they go to the Super Bowl one time, and now it's like we're entitled. It's like, yeah. no, you know, success is going to y'all's heads. Just calm down, settle down. You need to keep your bearing here. But they're not. And let's while we're on the subject, let's be honest about why the rig stuff's getting louder and louder and louder. Because 81% of all sports gambling is on the NFL. The degenerate right. gamblers are yeah. way over-invested in these yes. games. That's why it's getting louder on social media. No, it's not. You couldn't rig the NFL if you wanted to. No. It's too big a beast, too big a machine. Too many people know about it. No, it's not rigged. Yes, the officiating was horrible. Don't do that just because you you didn't cover your par. Look, the people on TV make it sound it's- like... Exactly. Don't bet on foot. Didn't you watch the Sopranos? Don't bet on football. You never, <laughs> if that ever goes well, don't bet don't, on football, kids. I do have to say, I, I do have to say, I have to, <laughs> I do feel for Cincinnati fans, the one play that's going around Twitter constantly on a kickoff. I don't know if it's a kickoff or a punt, but, <laughs> but their entire team is blocked in the back. They have like blocked seven guys blatantly blocked in the back, pushing guys over. You're like, okay. That was rough. To, that was that they, was really bad. It was a badly officiated. They had to play um, their running back coming out of the corner of the end zone, and he gets clocked. He was yeah. already all, he wasn't even on the white out of bounds. He was coming off the white onto the yeah. carpet and got clocked. That didn't get caught. And the last play of the game, they've been freeze framing this. It's hilarious. One of the defensive linemen got neck tackled to the ground. The other two are being held as well on the on Mahomes's <laughs> run. And then, you know, you get the penalty at the end, which, you know, the guy that tackled him ended up hurting his knee on it on top of it. Like, it's just, you know, it's a comedy of errors almost. But let's keep something in perspective because we don't appreciate greatness when we see it. Like, I remember watching – I got to grow up watching Michael Jordan play. Um, I can remember watching Joe Montana play. I've seen Brady's whole career now. We need to appreciate what we're seeing out of Patrick Mahomes right now. Oh, for sure. That that was fluke claim. Willis Reed, that was that level. That's one of those games people are going to lie and say they watched it even when they didn't. It was that. That was, we need to make sure we, in all this other mess, you just need to appreciate greatness because it's really, really rare. I think Patrick Mahomes is a really, really rare. And I think Joe Burrow might be this in the future because he's good too. But Mahomes is just that guy. And we need to make sure we're appreciating and seeing greatness, whoever, whatever team you root for. Right. That's a rare level of greatness we're seeing out of Patrick Mahomes and that Andy Reid combination right now, whether they win the Super Bowl or not. They're just, that's just special. 100%. And th- those two guys for sure, Burrow and Mahomes. I actually put, I know he had Going an off back year. To Philly, Andy. I, I know, I know uh, that is a great story. That is, that is going to be fun, man. But uh, 
I, I actually put Josh Allen up in that category, too. I know he had an off year and didn't look good in the playoffs, but that dude's such a freak, too. I think those he, three he, guys are just going to be around a long, long exactly time. Exactly what we're saying about Mahomes, though. He doesn't have, he's got the talent. He doesn't have the coach. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Mr. Arms. He just yeah. doesn't. Well, and he just doesn't. Mahomes, like, he'll do crazy stuff, but it's it's more calculated. Like, Josh Allen is way more of like a Brett Favre, just chunkish kind of guy, you know? Yeah, he's not had the NFL Hall of Fame level. Look, Andy Reid's an all-timer of a coach. Yeah, he just, yeah. if, you, if you can't admit that, then you, you're not paying attention. Yeah. He, he, if he gets a coach like that to get to that, look, as you can be the best quarterback ever, you've got to have a coach to get you to that that one step up from great to all-timer. You oh, just sure. got to. It's a collaborative yeah. thing. All the great quarterbacks had a great coach. It just yeah. is. And the ones that didn't don't have a bunch of rings. It's yeah. just that simple. I look at Stafford. He's in Detroit for 15 years, and he just goes to a real team. One, I mean, the first year wins the Super Bowl. Just throws 40 touchdowns, wins the Super Bowl. First year gets yeah. out of Detroit. It's like, yeah, man. Coaching matters. Dude, all right. So we got a bunch of news items to get to. But sure. Before we, even, before we get to that. Uh, you mentioned something that I did want to mention on the podcast. I don't think we've ever talked about the merits of Waffle House on the show before. But, How could uh, you not? I'm known for this. I know. See, like I, it's, I've been to a Waffle House in at least, I have to imagine, 20 states. Uh, just about every Midwestern and Southern state, I've been to a Waffle House. And you're, obviously, if anybody follows you on Twitter, they know you're a Waffle House enthusiast. So for all the poor souls living in America's crime-filled, crumbling coastal cities, explain <laughs> the greatness of, of Waffle House to the good folks back home. Waffle House is just, it's 24-7 is the first thing you got to know. So the the thing like, you know, touring musicians, I was a shift worker for years and years, so that's why I love Waffle House. You can roll in there at 2.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. It, it's just amazing. And I know people joke about the fight videos online and all that. Um, I I have seen fights in Waffle House. That has happened. I've seen that. I've seen close. The close to fights are actually more entertaining than the actual fights. Oh, yeah. those Those are really wild. It's just such a melting pot of humanity. It used, there used to be a thing. Okay, kids, we're going to date ourselves here. There used to be this thing where they take people from the retirement homes and take them to the malls and let them sit and watch people walk around the malls. Yeah, yeah. People watching at Waffle House is one of the great free. Well, it's not free because you got to buy your food, but it's one of the great cheap thrills in America. It's just sitting and watching what everybody else is doing in Waffle House because it's such a cross section of humanity. Food's good too. Um, I love the food. You can go into any Waffle House, get the exact same food. I was at Waffle House yesterday. I took my daughter and we, <laughs> my daughter's like, dad, I want some new time. Let's go to Waffle House. Absolutely. That's the way to my heart. So we went to Waffle <laughs> House. I love Waffle House. It's a people thing. Like if you love people and you like just observing humanity, Waffle House is the place I'm having a meeting at Waffle House for somebody Wednesday. And it was so funny because somebody's like, Hey, you got to meet this person on Wednesday. Where are they going? My kids under the, you know, sarcastic teenagers. Oh, they're going to Waffle House. I don't know why you're asking. They're going to be at Waffle House. Yep, sure am. <laughs> Love Waffle House. And it's such, you, you will meet people and you can talk to people and do not fight with the staff. They're semi-pros. They will kill you. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't mess with the staff. But I love Waffle House so much, man. It's just a great American thing. And yeah, it's greasy food. Yeah, it's not perfect. And yeah, there's sometimes violence. It's just a consummate American thing. Two World War II vets founded it. If you don't know the whole story, I've, I'll shoot you the link. I've wrote a couple of pieces on the history of Waffle House. Two World War II vets. One of them was actually on the Manhattan Project, all things. The other guy was a B-24 Liberator pilot. They did became not, be- did they, not know any of this. They became <laughs> best friends. And they, well, he he always denied it. He his World War II. Most Waffle Houses have a picture of two guys in their World War II getup. That's the two founders in their World War II uniforms. A lot of the Waffle Houses will have that picture. He has the Corps of Engineering supply pins on his collar. 
but he was actually working for the Manhattan Project. He drove. He was the intelligence officers that rode in the truck when they moved stuff from Tennessee out to New Mexico. An intelligence officer had to ride with him. Now, remember, this is like 43. There ain't interstates, right? right? That's a haul. They weren't allowed to stop. Oh, yeah. They weren't allowed to talk to people. Nobody was allowed. He rode in the truck back and forth. He ended up working for Oppenheimer directly. And he was actually in Oppenheimer's New York office when the war ended. Um, like stuff like that, you just never imagine. But That's the right. reason I bring that up, the whole concept of Waffle House came from the other guy. He was in, you know, what we would now, there was what we now call JROTC in high school. They called it something different back in the 30s. They're on this maneuver. It's the middle of the night. They're out in the freaking swamp somewhere lost, and they stumble on this cabin, and this guy takes them inside and feeds them, right? And it's cold and it's raining, and they're just miserable. And he had this yellow porch light on this old shack in the middle of yeah, the yeah. swamp. And he's like, ah, that's why the sign's yellow. It's a yellow brightness in the light. Love it. And he, he, that's where he got the concept of. He started working at Huddle House, and he was like, I'll give you the whole history because this is great American stuff, man. <laughs> he, he he started working at Huddle House, and, but they didn't have a franchising option. He, he was the line cook and a manager, but he couldn't go up any further. So he goes to buy a house, and the other guy is selling real estate because he's a lawyer, but he doesn't want to be a lawyer because he just came off being the Manhattan Project. How do you top that? So he's working for his family's real estate business, and the guy's like, I need to buy a house, and he ends up selling him the house next door to his. And they become buddies and they start talking. He's like, yeah, I'm in the food business, but I think I could do it better on my own. He's like, well, I'm bored and looking for something to do. Let's start a restaurant. And that's how the first Waffle House in Georgia, it's still there. It's a museum now. Um, that's how they did it. He, he told the story. He's like, here's how they pick our locations. He'd take a car and park there at 2 in the morning and see if there's any traffic. If there's traffic at 2 in the morning, that's where you put a Waffle House. <laughs> that's how he did it for years. He would self-scout their own places. They died, you know, multiple, multiple millionaires. They still, up to their dying day, would go in and serve coffee at the restaurants. Just two great all-American dudes, um, both World War II vets, just special guys. And, you know, I I love Waffle House. It's all that's good with America, and it is proof. Any idiot that tells you America doesn't have a culture has never been to Waffle House. No doubt. You know, I'm actually kind of shocked that Huddle House predates Waffle House. Yeah, they, they dropped the ball, man. There's, still, there's one about— 30 minutes down the road in my house in North Carolina. There's one down in Lumberton that I've ate at a couple times and they closed it. And there's another one over where they're building the new 73 interstate. So they're still around, but yeah, they dropped the ball, man. They, oh, they sure. had the founder of Waffle House, you know, <laughs> drop the ball. I mean, that's like a Netflix blockbuster kind of situation, man. They just, yeah, where, messed where, up. why do I need four movies about whatever? Like, where's my movie on those guys? Oh, like yeah. that's a great food network. Get on it. That could be like your press. That could be your Sopranos right there. Oh heck yeah, man! I mean, the ratings would be through the roof. You kidding me? I I That'd be good stuff. I I do have to tell I, I uh this is a long time ago, at least a decade ago. We were at a Waffle House at 3 a.m. one night after a show. I don't remember where, but we got to experience what the staff does to clean the floors of Waffle House at night. And it was, it was, it was really something. I mean, if you notice, like I, I assume most people listening have been to a Waffle House, so you know the floors, they're like the shower floors in the YMCA, or like prison or something. It's just tile with grates everywhere. About six a.m. They're super clean because they clean them about four four thirty after that midnight well, I, rush. I, but I, I like, saw what they midnight do. Midnight on, it's not good. At least this particular Waffle House, what they did to clean the floors, they just took the, all the tables except for the ones that we were sitting at. We're the only ones there, right? So they pile the rest of the tables and chairs off in the corner somewhere. They dump a bunch of soap on the ground. Then they bust out what appeared to be a fire hose. I mean, like a like a expandable mesh 
fire hose and they just go nuts on the floor. I mean, it's loud. There's water splashing against the windows. I mean, it was like being in the middle of a hurricane or something. It was absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, the efficiency and quickness in which they cleaned the floors of this Waffle House was, it was, it was, it was nuts, but it was a sight to behold. Hose it down, squeegee it, done. They're yeah. done in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this they whole, don't mop I mean, it. Yeah. The, I mean, the water pressure that they were using indoors, I've never, I've never seen it. I mean, it's like, it was an outdoor military-grade hose. I mean, they, yeah. they just, you know, they had, you know, places to be, stuff to do, you know, and they had 30 seconds to get it done, you know. Got to do I what you got to do, I suppose. I wrote about it, but, you know, FEMA actually gauges how bad a disaster is by whether or not Waffle House is open. Because Waffle <laughs> House has emergency stages. They can operate without electricity. They can operate without water. And wow. the funny thing how can is they the, operate without water? Because because they have they'll ship in water and they'll keep cooking off bottled water. Ironically enough, the only thing you can't get and they also scale their food prices in an emergency to whatever the cost locally is because everything goes cash only, right? Because there's yeah, no yeah. power. They have a contingency plan to stay open cash only, and they don't you know they'll charge a certain rate for first responders and stuff. They stay open. If the Waffle House is closed, you're screwed. Run. Um, but the the funny thing about it is the only thing they can't run on their emergency plan. It's the waffles because the waffle irons are electric. That's the only uh, thing they can't run. Everything else is gas powered. But they stay open if they if they don't have power, they stay open. If they don't have water, they stay open. It's it's really cool. So FEMA actually has a gauge: is the Waffle House open or not? To how bad their the thing is. Yeah, and you're mostly really... mostly because all their people want to eat a Waffle House and write it off. I will say, like you know, of all the times I've been to Waffle House, I what what's your opinion on this? Since you're a professional, I, I'd have to say out of everybody ordering food regardless of the time of day, even even breakfast time, even 6 a.m., people ordering waffles at Waffle House are probably like 3 to 5% of the orders. I mean, there's just not—I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff on the menu. You actually don't see too many people eating waffles in there, surprisingly. And the best stuff's not on the menu now because of the new menus. So like your like my ham and cheese omelet, which is one of my go-tos, that's not on the menu, but that's what I always get. You can get People don't realize you can get omelets, and you can get whatever— um, it's really interesting because the, the thing about the, like my, I, I actually tweeted about this yesterday. I took my kid, they get omelets with, uh, you know, they'll get their waffle with chocolate chips all over it. Like, you know, another thing's not on the menu, but that's what they always get. And then by the time, you know, it's just a, basically a sugar bomb and you just got to stay away from them for an hour afterwards. Oh, but yeah. yeah, you know, the, the kids want to go to waffle house. They always get chocolate chip waffles. The, the best stuff's not on the menu. So honestly, if somebody just comes in and orders a waffle, you're almost like, hey, is that a new person? What, you know, is this their first time here? What, what's going on with this? But yeah, it, you know, the burgers are good. The food's good. The steaks aren't too bad for a cheap steak. You know, people don't realize you, you, you can order about anything and get it. They'll figure out some way. And then I forget the number. It's like in the, it's like in the millions, the waffle house combinations for how you can get your hash brown so i'm a scatter smother covered guy because you know <laughs> i do it the way god intended it but yeah, everybody yeah. has their own thing yeah man so all right a couple we should probably before we wrap up talk a little bit of news no waffle house fight stories come on man you I, you're you're musicians in the I've middle seen, of the night there's got to been some violence i i've seen violence but it's I, i've just seen like the pushing and shoving kind of kind of fight i haven't seen like an actual legitimate knockdown drag out waffle house fight I mean, you, you see a lot of stuff bubbling up at Waffle House that never actually boils over as well. You know, maybe it's just something about the vibe that people maybe, you know, if they were in the bar, they obviously would have been throwing haymakers. But maybe, you know, you're around kids more than likely. You know, everybody's a salt-of-the-earth people that attend Waffle House. So it's like maybe Waffle House actually prevents more fights 
because yeah. if those fellers were somewhere else, you know, in a, in a different context with alcohol involved, I don't know, it might be even worse. I mean, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything, but middle of the night Waffle House when people are in there trying to get sober enough to go home is a different beast. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody fight with the staff. That's the difference right. from the viral because nobody would dare to because that's suicide. It's going to get cut, man. They're all carrying I, knives and they look like they know how to use them. I, I've seen people fight amongst themselves, like the groups that come in. I've seen people escort each other out of the Waffle House <laughs> to avoid a fight. I, I know I, I've, I've seen that happen. I've seen them. Th- I've seen chairs thrown. I have seen that happen. Look, your level of manhood is, you know, everybody wants to talk about masculinity these days. If you can keep on eating your hash browns while the fight's going down, as long as it doesn't involve you, that that's your standard. There you go. It's like the old Kipling program. You know, if you can eat your hash browns while everybody else is fighting in the Waffle House, you've become a man, my son. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And it definitely teaches you life lessons you can use later as well. Uh, the power of restraint. So, all right. We have to talk about... We're, We'll get to this last because we are going to mention this horrific video coming out of Memphis, this police killing. Um, before we get there, um, it's just a tough transition out of Waffle House, you know what I'm saying? So we'll, we'll hit something else first. I just want to get your thoughts on what you've observed from Donald Trump's campaign so far. Obviously, he announces way too early, a couple days after the midterms. It's all ridiculous. That's why we can't have nice things, all, all the rest of it. But I, I, I know we were all expecting the Trump campaign to kind of be this juggernaut again within GOP politics. He's obviously still popular with the base, but I don't know, man, like everything we've seen over the last month or so, they don't really seem to be building the type of campaign that won in 2016. And I saw the comments that that Trump made about DeSantis over the weekend. It's not really weak. You know, it's like, Oh, he better not run because that would be disloyal. It's like (laughs) disloyal. (laughs) Like that's, if that's the best you've got, it, it makes him kind of sound pathetic. You know, it makes him sound scared. So it's like, I can't really, I don't know what to make of the Trump campaign. And I don't really have a whole lot of information as to who's like running the campaign even right now. I don't know if you have more information than I have, but it's like, yeah, it's clearly not the A team, you know, that he won with in in 2016, if you even want to call those people an A team. But I don't know, I can't really make, I can't put my finger on like what the goal is, like what they're actually building right now. I kind of figured like his campaign would take more of a, a shape in a direction by now, but it doesn't really seem to have happened yet. He's got a brain drain problem. Um, you go back and look at that 2016 campaign and people look, the MAGA folks that are all about Trump all the time. Fine. I mean, that's your right to do it. But you also understand the reason he won is because the Republican establishment embraced Trump, brought him in and got him over the top. That's how right. national politics work. He doesn't have a Kellyanne Conway. He doesn't have those insiders that know how to make things work, that know how to run. It is an immense task to run a national campaign for president successfully. Trump did not run that campaign. He delegated it, which is fine. That's it. Look, we know what his leadership style is. We got a lot of book on it. He he likes competition among subordinates. He stays above it, and then he picks the best and goes from That's his leadership style. Right. That works if you've got really good subordinates. They got a brain daring problem in Mar-a-Lago right now. They don't have anybody. That's why I discount all the third party stuff. I don't think they have anybody that would know how to put them on a ballot in all 50 states. They don't have anybody. You can roll your eyes at insiders all you want to. They don't have anybody that knows how to do this stuff right now. They've got a lot of people that know how to run Trump Incorporated. And I'm doing the air quotes. They know how to run the business and branding. 
Now, he's got a couple things going on here. He's going, I was just on Fox on Thursday night talking about this. He's getting back on Facebook. He's going to be back on Twitter sometime around June because he has this exclusivity agreement with True Social. But True Social's actually got a regulatory problem. They may be gone before then, and that would get him out of that. Right. But sometime around June, July, when these campaigns really start cranking, he's going to be back on Facebook. He's going to be back on Twitter. Is it going to be as big as the first time? No, it's not, but it's still going to be a big deal. Here's the problem. Even with all that said and all the craziness and as bad as Trump has looked, if you've got a re- crowded Republican primary, he's he doesn't have to get 50 percent. He's got to get 25 to 30 percent to win these primaries. Is he still going to get that? He could. Um, it's kind of looking like DeSantis may stay out of the way of this. I know there's a lot of people saying he's going to jump in. There's a little bit of a time frame here in the next six months. You're going to know what's going to happen here. But you've got all these also rands from the administration, the Trump administration that are already run. You know, Pence has already been running. Don't kid yourself. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's going to get Pompeo. Pompeo's already running. He's been running. Pence is running. I think a lot of them kind of cancel each other out because they got they all got the same problem. They were Trump subordinates. It's just an optics thing. Sorry, it just is. I mean, they're all one percent uh, candidates. I mean, it's not. I, I, it's not like any of those. In any state, whether it's Iowa or South Carolina, New Hampshire, it's like I can't imagine a Nikki Haley or but, Mike Pompeo. Yeah. You know, it's like we're, they, they have no electorate. I mean, there's no like, again who do constituency. These appeal yeah, to? and again, I look. I'd love to sit here and tell you that Trump's done and we're not going to deal with him anymore. He's he only's got to win 25, 30 percent in four early states, and he's got a nomination again. Like I, that's just the reality of it. So yeah, it's bad. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, he's been off the rails on the true social. And lucky for him, most people don't know the stuff he's been saying on true social. Oh, yeah. But he's he's still probably the favorite for the GOP right now. That's just the math of it. Honestly, I think being off social media helps him. I, I don't think coming back. Right to, now it does, yeah. I, you know, because people, you know, especially women, especially white suburban women who, you know, the GOP needs if you're going to win. And even, you know, you need to you need suburban women to win um, the nomination. Um, and it's just how the primary process plays out. But, you know, the, these people are, are tired of the nonsense and, and all that. And I think, you know, maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder a little bit. And people are kind of still warming to Trump because they haven't been dealing with the constant, you know, like if, if those all the, the stupid and I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell or anything, but like all the, the Trump. I don't know what they call it, posting on Truth Social, but uh, all this racist stuff about McConnell's wife and all this. It's like if that was on Twitter and Facebook and people had to see it all the time, I think they would be just as annoyed as they were with Trump you know, at the end of you know, 2020. But I don't know. I just don't think that coming back to Facebook and stuff is going to be, I, if anything, you might actually lose support as, as the primary process actually gets closer. I don't know. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think... I think DeSantis is being smart. He's ignoring all of this stuff right now. Like he hasn't really responded to any of Trump's attacks, and um, he's probably going to be focused on the the legislative agenda down in Florida until what May or so. I don't know when their session ends, May or June, something like that. So if he's going to run, he'd probably announce then. Um, and I still think he is going to run, but um, yeah, I, I guess we could run into the situation like we did in 2016, where all the other also rans just siphon off a certain percentage of the vote and then lets Trump sneak in with that 28% or whatever that he needs. But um, I don't know. Okay, are, are these Republicans going to, these stock generic Republican politicians literally going to make the exact same mistake they made in 2016? Like, I don't, maybe, I, I guess we can't put it past them, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, your I don't know your question is, is the Republican party going to do what the Republican party always do? My answer is always yes. Yeah. Like, how did you get, let's back up here for a second. You know, one of, Founding Truth on my 
program. Things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in sequence. How did you get Trump in the first place? Right? Like <laughs> Ignore the base for 25 years and yeah. And you had the perfect storm of that. You had resentment. And then you had 20 people running. I know they I know they got it down to 16 for the debates, but it was insane. Yeah. How many people were like there was no way that was going to go well. And everybody's like, well, we got to stop Trump. We got to stop. Well, you can't stop Trump because he, he just kept pulling 20, 25 percent over and over and over and over again. Next thing you turn around, it's him and Ted Cruz. And we all know how that worked out. Like there's just this thing. You can do all the lines on Twitter. You can do all the fancy memes. Primary politics in the GOP, there is a definitive path to how you got to win. And there isn't anybody on what DeSantis is sitting out. And you mentioned that time, same time frame I did, that June, July time frame. Once they get to let, then you're going to find out what he's going to do. So just kind of hold all your powder until we find out how that bomb goes off. But even if he jumps in, there's no guarantee he's, you know, is he going to, if it's 25% Trump and 23% Santis, DeSantis loses. And I know everybody's like, oh, no, no. I was like, no, no, no. This is primary politics. This is a whole different beast. You're not getting 50%. You don't have to be the most popular. You just got to win that 25, 30% yep. in a crowded field where everything's jacked up and Trump's throwing crap at the wall to see what sticks. And that hardcore base shows up to shoot people on Fifth Avenue, people show up. Yeah, he could win a primary again. I don't yeah. think he can win a general election. No, he, he can definitely yeah. win a primary again. Yeah, people that think he can are kidding themselves. Yeah, and DeSantis will run. I mean, he'll he'll run. He'll announce it. I think he's I think he's going to, but I don't know, man. If I'm look, I I know here's the argument. He's going to do the Elizabeth argument, right? Like you missed your shot. You should have yeah. struck when the iron's hot. Yep. That's what everybody in his ears telling him. Yeah. I don't know if he beats Biden. I don't short of the economy crashing. I don't know if any Republican beats Biden because here's the problem: anybody that beats Trump in a primary is going to lose Trump support in the general. They're going to sit home. They're going to do it. It's going to happen. So I don't know, man. It's if I was him, I don't I don't begrudge him the decision at all because it, you may never get another shot at it. But this isn't a great shot at it either with all the things you factor in. I don't know, man. You're never gonna. There's never gonna be a great shot for a Republican. Not that is until, correct. I mean, they, you you have tens of billions of dollars of media coverage against you every single day. I mean, it's like you are adding up to. I mean, the the corporate press alone adds somewhere. I, I mean, there's no real way to quantify it, but adds somewhere between five to ten points to every Democrat in every race, from city council to president. You're, I mean, you're fighting uphill battle. The Democrats spend two to three times as much money as the Republican in almost every single race, except for DeSantis. This last time in Florida, because he had just mountains of cash. My goodness. But, that was uh, a that was a woodshedding what he did to the Democratic Party in Florida. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nineteen. Ni- a Republican points. won Florida by nineteen points and carried yeah. date. Like what? Like go explain to somebody that follows Florida politics ten years ago and say that happened. They'd laugh in your face. One by 30, it is remarkable. What one is by thirty thousand votes four years ago. One by one point six million. How do you turn thirty thousand into one point six million? Like that's. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen something like that before. I mean that is. Florida is amazing right now. Florida is really interesting to watch. You just mentioned something really important when it comes to the presidential race, though that folks got to keep in mind when it comes to some, whether it's a DeSantis or a Trump or whatever, <laughs> how do I even say this and put it in perspective? You know, these presidential races 
they don't come down to ideology and politics. They really come down to a big chunk of the country that doesn't pay attention to politics except for, and they just look at the TV screen and go, okay, which one of these people do I want to listen to for four years? That's what it comes down to. Trump's going to have a, that's where Trump's going to really fall short. People, people, there's just a huge amount of people that are just tired of it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Even people that like him, you, you're seeing it in the media. But DeSantis, when he comes up, he's going to have a different environment than 2016 when Trump won, the last Republican to win president. You mentioned the the mainstream press. That's true. The next person that comes after Trump's going to have a unique problem to deal with. And we're part of this problem because we do this, too. He's got a really entrenched conservative media that got rich and got famous off Trump that isn't going to have Trump anymore and is going to figure out what they do after Trump. Do they go all in on DeSantis? Or do they go after their Trump audience by attacking DeSantis? That's something nobody has an answer for because it's never happened before. We have more conservative, right-winging, whatever you want to call it, MAGA media than we've ever had before. Yeah, They're not going to uniformly get on the DeSantis bus if he takes oh, no. out Trump. He's going to get sniped at from an entrenched media from the every, right. That, that's every, something that's never happened before. That's a new dynamic to deal with. Every political journalist, left, right, and center, makes more money if Trump is the nominee running against Biden. Unquestionably. He's good Every for business. single journalist makes more money with Trump. He's Every single journalist will try. I mean, right-wing journalists will try to drag Trump across the finish line for the nomination. Left-wing journalists will give him billions of dollars of free media again, um, tra- you know, promoting his campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's like when there's so much money on the line surrounding Trump, I mean, a lot of people are dependent on Trump staying prominent, which is like, again, I mean, just a side note here. Like, I, I hope Trump is not the nominee. I hope DeSantis is, because I think DeSantis actually can win, and I'm convinced Trump, there's nothing he could possibly ever do to win a general. I just don't, I think just those days are long, long gone. But it's like, just side note, from from the press's standpoint, it's like, man, Trump's like, what, 78? <laughs> it's like, these people, it's like you're you're tying your entire business model to I'm an 80-year-old. I got to look it up. I'm, I'm wanting to say he'll be 80 if he was inaugurated a second time. I, I believe I, I think, think he was. I think he's two years younger than he's Biden. He's two years younger than Biden, and Biden, Biden's tur- 80. Biden just turned 80. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but that's a real the media old. environment for this 2024 race is not 2020 and it's not 2016. This is a whole different beast. We yeah. we just saw this, you know, I don't care about inter I don't care about, you know, intramural spats. The thing that came out with the Daily Wire stuff, how much money they're making and how much they're paying their fuck the, the the right side media, right wing conservative, whatever you want to call it. It's a full-blown entity. It's big yeah. business. It's oh, a yeah. thing now. It's not just mainstream media. Some candidate, and a candidate on the right, is going to have to navigate both. Yes. that's a real thing. And people that are going to lose money on Trump are not going to automatically. There, you think this is all ideological? It's not. Money trumps ideology. People are going to lose money if it's DeSantis, not Trump. And there's going to be people on the right wing in the media that are going to hold it against him if he does that. Can he win a national election getting sniped at from both sides? That's the question. That's the needle he's got to thread. He, he, the thing is, he may be able to because he, he just hasn't done anything wrong yet. Like, and I know it's super early. He's probably six months away from announcing he's going to run if he's going to run. But he just hasn't made any mistakes yet. In terms of, I mean, you can disagree or agree with his policies as governor of Florida or his votes when he was a congressman. That's not even what I'm talking about. I mean, that's stuff that matters, but we're just talking about the way he's handled himself. He just hasn't stepped on any rakes. He seems to have some intelligent people around him. He he kind of knows how to play the game. And, like, the thing is, and you're absolutely right, the thing is, it's not just Trump, too. Like, 
every politician moving forward, except the Democrats because they're protected by the press, but like every Republican politician moving forward has to understand how to navigate attacks from not just the you know corporate media, but also independent and new media, because they are basically their own corporate media at this point. There's that much money flying around. There's that too many. There's that many jobs. So much money on the line. The thing is, you know who else doesn't know how to navigate that? Donald Trump, because he's 80. So he's the whole like. You know, he's every speech he's talking about, you know, his his base is like, you know, they're they're worried about like the myocarditis stuff. They're not they're real down on the vaccines and all of that. And Trump is still like it was a great call for me to hand over the authority of the federal government to Anthony Fauci and the vaccines are great. Go get 10 of them. So it's like so he's like up against his own base on this one. I don't know, really know how he navigates that. So it's like I don't even know if he is real has realized yet that he is in the middle of this brand new media situation that's way different than it was in 2016 and some of it's his own doing but it's like everybody's going to have to figure that out including Trump I don't I don't think Trump has figured that out yet no he hasn't and he mentioned something really important let, let, let's do an honest you know I try to be honest and call things as I see him with DeSantis he's got stuff he's working in the reporting's out there he's got advisors coming in he's working on the weaknesses in his own game because he's a smart look he's at heart, you know, Ivy League educated, yeah. military officer. This guy's sharp. This isn't Trump where he just kind of goes about and slings from thing to thing to thing on instinct. He's sharp. He knows he has deficiencies because you can read the reporting on where he's working on those. Yeah. He's a counter puncher. He's great at the press conference. That's his strength. He's not great with the interpersonal stuff. This is not me saying this. This is all. This is DeSantis' own people. Like, no, we're working on things. We're working yeah. on his retail politics. He's got holes in his game. He's got a little bit of a Bloomberg thing going on right now, though, where most national people have never actually heard him talk and speak. Right. So when he introduces himself to the country and they hear him talk for the first time, not counterpunching because that's easier, yeah. uh, not feeding to your strength. When he's got to go to a podium and talk for seven minutes and engage people, how does that come across? Right. How does he do in a debate where it's chaotic and you've got you know moderators that are going after you and the whole stage is going after you specifically? That's a whole mm -hmm. different environment. He's not, look, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. He's got questions he has to answer. Like you said, I think that June, July timeframe, we're going to find out whether he's going to really run or not. So he has some holes in his game that the Trump stuff in the media environment will be challenges to him. I'm just being honest about it. Yeah. You got to be honest about these things. When he's not just counterpunching the media, and he's got a great media team, when he's got to hit people to his right, how does that come off? How does that yeah. react? How does he thread the needle? This is going to be fascinating stuff, man. But I agree with you 100% on Trump hasn't realized the game's change. I think DeSantis has figured out the game's change. I think his question isn't even the Trump question. I think he's trying to decide, does what I'm strong at and my political yeah. machine that I've built in Florida, can you upscale it nationally? That's the question he's asking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a million-dollar question. And the thing is, he, with what he has accomplished as governor— um, all the stuff he's been pushing, like the the critical race theory stuff and the the keeping sexual things out of, oh, I think it was what third grade and under, you're not allowed to teach sex to to eight year olds or whatever. <laughs> like all these these things that drive the left crazy and make make the left and and the press defend these like degenerate behaviors of, of <laughs> in, in going on in government schools and all this. All this stuff is like extraordinarily popular with the right and with independence too. Like if you poll independence on like the critical race theory stuff it, it's not very popular so like all, all this stuff that DeSantis is doing obviously he you know he shut down the state for two weeks realized it was a mistake opened it back up when Trump was pushing lockdowns for six months he was going after Brian Kemp he was going after DeSantis saying oh no they need to listen to Fauci don't don't open up your states and all that so it's like 
DeSantis, when it when it comes to the Republican base, he's been on the right side of all these issues, and Trump really hasn't. And like Trump can get away with that for a while, you know, just with the being boisterous and loud and and slinging mud all over the place. But like at the end of the day, they're gonna have to. He's gonna have to account for the things he did as president that is not popular at all and is not what the Republican base wants. And DeSantis, I mean, he is a cunning politician. He knows what plays with the base. He knows what is popular. He knows what he can get away with, and he's exploited that perfectly so far as governor. Obviously, he you know he was just reelected, so he has more work to do. But like it, all this stuff he's been working on is very popular with Republicans and. I don't know, like, Trump's going to have to deal with the lockdown stuff, the Anthony Fauci stuff. Like, I mean, his favorite thing to do online is just blast all the people that he hired <laughs> and and who failed and, and did all these awful things. It was like, well, but maybe, Sherlock Holmes, you can track down the guy that hired him. Like, he was going after John Bolton. You know, he goes after Fauci. He goes after... It's like, God, you were the president of the United States. Like, I, where does the buck stop? John Bolton? No, no, don't be ridiculous. It stops with you. So it's like... DeSantis doesn't have any of that in his background. He doesn't have to, you know, explain away why he didn't fire Anthony Fauci, for instance. Here's the thing. People are like, can DeSantis win? Here's how he wins and here's how he loses. I'll just lay it out. And I don't think anything's going to change his dynamic if he runs. If he shoots Trump to become the nominee, he loses. Yes. Yes. If he can get Trump to self-emulate himself you know, not emulate like an NSC, like you want to play Nintendo back in the day. I'm talking about setting yourself on fire, emulate, but I can't say that with my accent. If he emu- if he gets Trump to destroy himself attacking DeSantis yes. to the point that the people, the base of the party, turn to DeSantis like, you've got to get rid of this guy. You're our only hope. That's how he wins. He can't take out, whoever takes out Trump's going to lose taking Trump out because he's going to take you down with him. Yeah. He has to finagle it to the point where Trump gets so out of line, he gets the Paul Ryan treatment. Paul, please come save us. We'll give yeah, you anything yeah. you want. That's why everybody's going to get mad at that comp, but that's exactly what it is. Come save us. We don't want this guy. That's how he wins. Can he finagle that? And that's what they're trying to set up. If you look at the issues he's picking, if you're looking at the fundraising he's doing, if you look at the outreach he's doing in Florida, the things like the Hispanic community, getting those kind of yeah. the wider base of support kind of stuff, um, yeah, that's the thing. He cannot be the guy to take out Trump because whoever take out Trump is going to go down with Trump. Yeah. If he can just position himself where Trump takes himself out and he goes, I'll save you, then DeSantis gets the nomination. That's how he wins. Otherwise, it's just going to be a mess and nobody can survive the mess. Yeah. I mean, I liked how he handled Trump's first attacks right after the election. You know, he just go. he was sniping at him and his family and stuff like that. And DeSantis just goes, uh. Some along the lines of, hey, you know, when you're a successful governor, you know, a lot of people, you have a lot of haters. <laughs> that was it. He's moved on. Never says Trump by name. Never yeah. doesn't even address You can't it. become Ted Cruz because no. Cruz never Cruz never recovered from never it. Never recovered. You know, you can, you cannot have your political soul pulled out of your nose and then Trump wears it as a hat and then makes Ted Cruz compliment what a nice hat he's wearing every time he needs to pull him back into line, which is what he did to Ted, Ted Cruz. You can't let you can't attack the man's family and his father helped assassinate JFK and all this crazy <laughs> stuff 
and then turn around and support the guy. You can't. Yeah. Those are hard lines for again. This is not a this is a perception problem to the average person that's not ideological, yeah. which is what all those you know those voters you were talking about in the suburbs that swing elections back and forth. Yep. And this one's going to swing again because the Republicans are probably going to lose the House and gain the Senate. That's going to be yeah. real fun to explain to people. But that's what's getting ready to happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that depends on who the presidential nominee is. I don't. I would not blame DeSantis one bit for taking a pass on this election, but he's got so much pressure to run. I don't I, know I if he's going to be able to turn it down, but I wouldn't blame him for turning it down. Oh, I would. I would because you just seen it too many times, man. I like Liz Warren's a great example uh, how she should have won and uh, run in sixteen. But like, there's a million other examples too. Like, it, especially the, the argument that he should just sit this one out. He's a young man. He's I don't know, forty four, forty five years old. All this. I mean, that would make sense if this were like the 1980s, but things just move so quick. In, I, in, just for the sake of argument, let me give you the other end of that, just just to hash yeah, yeah. it out. Okay, yeah. though. The Democratic Party's bench is so weak that Joe Biden is president right now. Yeah. When oh, yeah. when Biden goes off the scene, whenever that is, and yes, he's running for re-election, y'all kidding yourself. And he's probably, he's favored to win, by the way, because incumbency has its advantages. Yeah. Don't kid yourself on that either. Yeah. When Biden goes by, though, look at that dim bench. They got nobody. They got no. So I, Pete Buttigieg somehow figured out a way to mess up being a transportation secretary. Kamala Harris is rambling about the passage of time and Venn diagrams. She's really bad on the. She's really bad on the. Bernie Sanders is ninety-five years old. I mean, Andrew Cuomo got running out. Got ran out of town for chasing chicks around the office. Now, you need to be honest with your audience. You would thoroughly enjoy a 2028 presidential cycle of DeSantis versus Gretchen Whitmer. Oh, dude. I mean, she, that, I, no, I, I would not. That, that woman, that woman, I, I, I wrote a piece for the examiner last week. Y'all can't I, see the video. There was a pause in his whole face like, change because he realized that it's probably going to happen. No, it's going to happen. It, it might happen. The thing is about Biden, he's a, he is 80. He is dealing with late stage cognitive decline. I mean, like he could. Yes, he's probably going to be the nominee. He's probably even favored to win the presidency again. But it's like that man. I've been through this stuff with grandparents, and so it's like you just one day he might be not be able to speak English anymore, legitimately. And we make fun of Biden and, and this and that. But like he could be minutes away from not really being functional anymore. So it's like you, you can't really count on that. Whitmer could be the nominee in, in like if let's say Biden something happens with his health. God forbid. Hope the man lives to 120. But let's say something happens. I mean, Whitmer could be the nominee in 2024. Like, that would be my prediction because she's everybody else is so bad on the mic, and she's just like this perfect combination no, no. of evil she, characteristics. She, just, she she pretty much single-handedly flipped Michigan back blue. Don't laugh. She can she knows no, how to win. Too. I know. She, she is the one. I She is, out of all the active politicians, governors or members of Congress, she's the worst. She's the worst the worst of the worst that the Democratic Party can put forth, in my opinion. I mean, that woman legitimately, I'm, I'm not I'm not just being cute here. That woman terrifies me. I mean, she is like a creepy, disturbing kind of politician. She looks like a villain in a horror movie from the 1970s, one. I mean, the crazy, like, Stepford Wives smile thing that she's got going, the crazy eyes, don't like it. But, uh, you know, the, the radical abortion stuff, the radical anti-gun stuff, the... the socialist economics. I mean, she's like 
the worst of the worst, and she's 45 years old and good on the mic and knows how to run a campaign. You've, knows how you've to got her. Episodes. You've got Newsom's going to run. J.D. Pritzker out of Illinois, the governor of Illinois. He's a billionaire independently. He's going to run for president at did some you see, point. Did you see what you, Newsom You've got a couple people out here. Did you see what Newsom, Newsom said? He's smart, man. Did you see Which, what he said over the weekend? You're going to have to be more specific. He was talking about how uh, people should drink more alcohol and do drugs. He said, uh, let me pull up the quote. He's talking about California's addiction epidemic. Um, let's see the quote. He's talking about how people should self-medicate to, uh, to try to stop doing drugs. He said, clean and, this is a real quote from an actual sitting governor. Quote, clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country ever made. We all need to self-medicate periodically, said Gavin Newsom, explaining his plan to self-medicate California out of their addiction epidemic. Now, I'm, I'm for, you know, reasonable drug legalization or at least decriminalization. I'm all for that. I don't care if you get high in your own time as long as you're not breaking laws or hurting anybody. God bless. Go do your thing. It's one of the one of the few things I'm probably a little bit more libertarian-ish on. Uh, I, I, I think it's ridiculous that pot is not legal, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not against people self-medicating. I think it's extraordinarily irresponsible for a leader to talk about self-medicating when we have an opioid crisis where people are dying because they don't understand what they're mixing these drugs with now. You could take what most people would tell you is a recreational drug, and it could be laced with some stuff that will kill you stone dead no matter how hard an addict are you are right now. This yeah. is so irresponsible. By the way, full disclosure, I've been sober for since 2004. I am a drunk. I am an alcoholic. I've dealt with that. I've, I've had to deal with that demon every day. You know, I do business with that devil every day, Billy Sunday used to call it. Yeah. I It's just something I don't talk about, but I deal with that. No, you do not want people self-medicating. This, this is... I thought you were supposed to be a liberal, dude. This is a great place for us to have some common ground on why we should have never gutted the mental health system and the institutional system in America where these people got on the streets in California, which is causing the problem in the first place. And I'm not a big government guy. That's one place you need a bigger government. In very rare instance, when we shut down not having institutions and government-run places for these people to go, they're all out on the street in the last 30, 40 years. It's, in, it's, in, it's inarguable. That's the problem. To argue that as a leader and say that people need to self-medicate when you have a police state built around a business model of punishing people that self-medicate, that's evil. Yeah, yeah. That's just straight up. It's it's pig ignorant evil. But he knows better. I just don't know what would possess. Yeah, I just don't know what would possess a man to say something like that during a speech on the the epidemic of, of drug use and addiction in your state. I just don't know what would. What leads you to the point in your life where you think that's an intelligent thing to you've say been, in that moment? You've been privileged to the point that you've never had to personally deal with it is my answer to that question. Yeah. Because it's ugly stuff. Like we know, you know, God, you and I both know people that deal with this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's it's ugly. It's brutal. It rips your family apart. This 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 no this thing where people say, well, it's just an addict dying. No, it's not. You don't understand what a bomb and addiction is to a community, to healthcare, to criminal justice system, to the police force, to hospitals, to families, to community. Those are bombs going off, and every little one of those, it's not an addict on the street. That's got a blast radius that tears at society, it tears at government, it tears at families. This this is such an irresponsible thing. I just it, I'm gobsmacked by that. That's it's so irresponsible to say that. I know, and he'll, he'll run for president. You know, yeah, he's going to run for <laughs> how how 
God, God help us. I hope this, how much fun would it be if him and junior were running against each other and you got Kimberly. Right there? <laughs> I, I hate to even say it. God forgive me for bringing it up. But I mean, if we're going to make everything a reality show, I don't know that we'll ever top that one. But the thing is, I'd actually enjoy that. And you wouldn't, you know, like, cause I, 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 no, don't I think love there's... my country. I, I don't want to see that happen to it. Well, I love my country too. I just, I have no faith that government itself is salvageable and you still do. So like you just can't you, you view that as like the worst possible scenario as junior. Well, let me let me qualify that. I don't think, but the government is the people. We get the government we deserve, and more off, more specifically, we get the government we tolerate right. through inertia, not paying attention. So yeah, if if we collectively as a people decided to hold our government accountable, we would have better government. But yeah, I I, I have. I have realistic belief in the ability of the people to give a damn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, Newsom will never win. He couldn't win a. I don't even know if he'd win California. I don't think he'd win his own home state. He's too white. He's too creepy looking. Like he'd he like California the way it's set up now. They, he he would win California. But here's the thing: it's so polarized now. The worst candidates are still going to probably pull somewhere in the low th- high thirties, low forties, no matter what, just because of what's beside their name. Newsom, I mean Kamala Harris. Newsom's a, Newsom's a better speaker than Harris, but I mean Kamala Harris is a is a black woman, and she was polling in single digits, had to drop out before California to avoid the embarrassment. So we, I don't know. We, I don't. I don't think started Newsom with, could beat Biden in California. We started with a football reference. Let's end on a football reference. You got it. Um, Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, was a system quarterback. She came up through California. No, I'm serious. No, she yeah. came up through California's system. She never really got challenged other than inter-party. She never had to have those bipartisan things. And I know everybody thinks that's a dirty word, but if you're going to get it elected nationally, you got to know how to talk to Democrats and Republicans both. You yeah. have to. Trump won pulling Democrats over. The old yeah. blue dogs, the, the heartland, people up in your way, up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Those were Democrats that were flipping to Trump. Biden won by getting Republicans that were fed up with Trump, giving him a second look. You know, I couldn't go there, but I know people that went there. Um, that's how you win national elections. She doesn't know how to talk to anybody other than, and I'm not even knocking her. It's just, it is who she is. It's how she was developed system quarterback. She doesn't know how to function outside of that California system and it better. Remember, it wasn't us. It wasn't Republicans or independents. I'm, I'm a registered unaffiliated voter. That's not who rejected her. It was Democratic primary voters that rejected her to the <laughs> yes. point that she didn't even make it into the calendar year of the election she was running in. She's got to fix that if she's going to be anything. And I don't think she can. Because Remember, she's going to be pushing 60 by the time that I think she'll be over 60 by the time she comes up. Um, so she's not exactly the hot new thing. People are not going to hold place for her. There's going to be other Democrats behind her. We already listened to a whole bunch of them. Like I, people, think her, I think her moment passed. Yeah. And people don't remember that. What sunk her candidacy was the the question about how she locked up all these nonviolent drug offenders in San Francisco uh, as a DA, and it's like she was so spoiled. Talk about her being a system quarterback. She was so spoiled by friendly, you know, California media coverage. She was so spoiled. I mean, she was gifted all these these political positions. She never had to work hard for anything or know how to communicate with anybody. It's like imagine being a <laughs> being a senator running for president and it never even crossed your mind that somebody might ask you about your past yeah one thing it's you can like, never say about what? biden like he's he's become teflon on this stuff because he knows how to talk around it and i know now he's not the biden of five or ten years ago and I, i'm not even knocking the man it's just age catches us all we're all going to get our turn at that but you look at you look at the biden debate um, when he was against Paul Ryan, he wiped the floor with Paul Ryan, but yeah. it wasn't because what Ryan was saying wasn't true. It was. Biden was just a better talker. Yeah. 
He's just yeah. better, but it's because he was in the Senate for so long where you talk to each other and you talk relentlessly and you talk. He developed a skill set that was practical to what he was trying to do, become president. And these, a lot of these candidates now, they never do that. They never build the skill set they need for a national election because they're never, you, look, you got to take some punches to learn you can take a punch and they just yeah. never do. Oh yeah, man. Yep. Yeah, and like that, I think that's the one thing keeping the Republican Party alive because the Republican leadership's terrible. The MAGA base is unappealing to anybody. There's some really good governors out there in this new crop of senators, and there's some there, there's some help coming on that front, but it's a it's a cycle or two away. I'm just saying the ineptitude of the Democrats. You know, the fact that they've never had to exercise that muscle. They are the boxer stepping into the title fight that were lazy. They were like the rich kid boxer that doesn't get up at four and run 10 miles before training. And they just expect, because the press has carried them their entire careers, that they're never going to have to deal with any adversity. And then they show up and get wrecked. And, like, because they're so cocky and so ill-prepared to debate, that's, like, the only thing that's keeping the Republican Party alive. Yeah. Right well, now. this was this you was know. the Obama effect. And, the, again, yes. this isn't me yes. saying this. Progressive folks will tell you this. The yeah. um, Obama was so good and so generational and historic and all that. They thought they'd the never problem lose again. was they thought they'd they, never lose again. They thought it was them and not him. Yes, yes. And they didn't build the party up, and the bench, the cupboard was empty when oh, and and Barack Obama, good, bad, or indifferent, even though he came through the Chicago, the, here you go, system again. He came from the Chicago machine, so he really didn't have an interest in things like state legislatures. No. He just, it, it's not even, he just didn't care. That no. wasn't his thing. So they got, you go look at the last three or four cycles, the Democrats got wiped during the Obama years in the state legislatures. Yeah. And, but the thing is now, now you're 10 years down the road, you know, let's take Joe Manchin. Yeah, he was Joe Manchin. Now he started as a, you know, he has a House of Delegates, then he was a state senator, then he was the secretary of state, then he was a governor. Now he's a powerful senator. When you lose legislatures, you set back your national candidates by about 10 years because yes. that's where they come from. That's how long So it now takes. that's yeah. why your bench is weak right now, because yeah. you don't have those good candidates that came up through the system and learned how to fight. Yeah. You just didn't. So, and that came from the Obama years. And a lot of honest Democrats will tell you, yeah, yeah. we dropped the ball on it because we got got spoiled they you know what's the boxing quote from larry holmes like it's hard you know it's hard to get up and exercise out of the silk sheets yeah that that's exactly what they got spoiled by obama it's happening again i think some of our democratic friends have fooled themselves what biden was he wasn't great it wasn't that they were running back to the democratic party trump just wore enough out of people out that they were going to vote for whoever was on the other side of the ticket and that's what happened they're fooling themselves again they're going to get burned on it if they don't build up that base what and what some of the progressives can't bring themselves to admit, um, and they're they're right about Obama, but they they're not quite going far enough. The real problem is that the party, the DNC, thought that it, it not it wasn't just them, and not just Obama, but they thought it was the ideology as well. They thought it was all these hard left, far left Obama policies. But when the American people, the entire time, even when Obama won re-election, handed, I mean, just wiped the floor with Mitt Romney. In, in 2012, all of his far left policies were failing and destroying lives and they were all extraordinarily unpopular. Like none of these, you know, like the Obamacare stuff, all that stuff, none of it was ever popular. Like it was never the woke stuff, like the racial stuff towards wave, the end of wave, Obama's wave policy, election, they were never as soon popular. as ACA was, you know, he lost, he lost both, you know, he lost his power right in the first midterm he came up with. Oh yeah. People forget that. Like, it, yeah, they got ACA through, but it cost them the House and the Senate both. Yeah. Like people forget that part of it. But here, here's the other thing, and both parties do this. 
there is so much money at the national party level now. They don't care about the ideology and the policy anymore. They really don't. There's just so much as long as they're it's they literally cannot spend the money they're getting in. Yeah. Go look. Look, I've seen the advertise. They can't buy enough advertising to spend yeah. all the money. Yeah. So that the money is a problem at the national level because there's so much money. It's not even about the candidates anymore. And they don't even really care. I don't think if they win or not, because you actually make more money when you're in opposition. This has been a Republican Party for decades. They love being opposition because they make more oh. money. They get, oh, yeah. It's easier. They don't govern oh. very well. The money in both polit- national political parties is a problem because now it's all about the money because there's yeah. just so much. Of it. Anyway. Yep. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be fun. We'll Never run out of things to talk about, my friend. Yeah, so we're going to save, uh, obviously, the, the situation in Memphis uh, with this police killing. We're going to save that for Wednesday because that deserves more time, and we are out of time. Andrew, my brother, uh, thanks so much for doing this, man. Let's do it again soon. Where can everybody follow you online, read your stuff, check out your show, which I highly recommend. Give us all the plugs. Yeah, uh, so now that I've unmuted my mic, uh, Hertel Show, all the broadcasting platforms. All you got to do is type in Hertel or my name, Andrew Donaldson, will come right up. We're also on YouTube. We also got a radio partnership that's got a new FM band station. We're really excited about that's going to be coming out about March or so. Uh, Ordinary-times.com is where I write. Four for the fire on the Twitter. I'm all over the place, especially food takes like all that Waffle House stuff. Let us know about that. You'll see me posting on Waffle House frequently. That's where uh, me and Brady get to talk. And a lot of time we're talking music and food, which is the good stuff in life. Don't get wrapped up in all this politics stuff, our friends. But we would love to for you to check out Hertel. I need to get you on Hertel. You haven't been on in a while. We've got some stuff cooking. We just did our Senate episode. It'll be coming out this week, the Senate preview. Ohio going to be right in the front of the line again this time. It'll be interesting watching Sherrod Brown go down. We might have to have you on to talk about that, buddy. Hey, absolutely, man. Can't wait. Everybody check out Hurtel. Everybody follow Andrew on Twitter. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.